Good morning and welcome to Wave Makers on WMNF. I'm Janet. And I'm Tom. And this is a weekly conversation with people making a difference in the Tampa Bay region. Answering the phones for us today is John Dunn. If you want to join the conversation, you can give us a call at 813-239-9663, and he will get you through to us. Um, you can also email us at dj at wmnf.org or text us at 813-433-0885. Today's Wavemakers are three women working to improve the crit- criminal justice system in the studio with us is Barbara Rode, founder of the Red Tent Women's Initiative in St. Petersburg, which gives women at the end of their incarceration counseling, education, and the tools for successful life after confinement. Welcome to the show, Barbara. Thank you. And with her also in the studio is Melissa Green, a past participant in the Red Tent Initiative who works there now. Welcome to the show, Melissa. Thank you. We're going to find out all about this important program that focuses on rehabilitation rather than punishment shortly. Uh, but first, on the phone with us is Democratic Florida Representative Diane Hart, um, who represents Tampa and Tallahassee. Representative Hart is a longtime advocate for criminal justice reform in Florida, and she is sponsoring three bills at this moment, there may be more coming, that speak to this issue. In November, she was elected chair of the Florida Legislative Black Caucus, a group established in the 1960s. State Senator Chevron Jones recently told the Florida Phoenix that this is the first time in a long time um, that in both chambers, black legislators make up the majority of the Democratic caucus. It's certainly an interesting time. Um, Representative Hart, you spoke uh, last week at a press conference at the Capitol um, called, that was the um, uh, Stop the Black Attack rally in response to what Ron DeSantis is doing in Tallahassee um, in terms of um, squashing the teaching of uh, an African-American history um, advanced placement course in the Florida schools. Um, tell us what's going on with that. What's happening next? Well, what's happening next is we're asking people all around the country to assist us in ensuring that we get our message out and that we tell the governor that this is not the end. And you cannot just decide that black history is not important and that it has no value, even though it makes up American history. So what we've been doing is I'm asking all of the various organizations around the country and I was also elected to the National Caucus of Black Legislators for Region 6, which is Atlanta, Georgia, and Florida. So we're asking all of our legislators to help us to send a real clear message and, though, to not just send a message, but to start education in the place where we know it started in the beginning. And that's churches. It started there. We're asking churches. We're asking the NAACP. We're asking the National Council of Negro Women. National Panhellenic Council to help us establish what we're calling freedom schools. That just means community gathering, parks and rec, all the places where we know we can continue to teach our history. Because if the governor has his way, there will be no black history. When we talk about AD history, let's think about our schools, period. When we passed the bill last year, that does not allow teachers to teach black history as we've always known it. 
So um, what you're trying to do is you're rallying people all around the country. What kind of response are you getting? We're getting a very good response. Equal Ground has actually started an email chain that they've been putting out, a text chain that they've been putting out of asking people to contact our governor and contact the leaders in our Senate and in our House. And we've been getting really good responses. It's been over couple thousand people a day, I understand, have been literally utilizing that and reaching out to the governor's office. Are you... So so- go ahead. No, you go ahead. And I'm just going to say, we know it's going to take us a moment. This just happened on last Wednesday as all of us just got back into our district. And I have been sick for a few days to meet with our churches, but I did have an opportunity to meet with several clergy on the phone and talk about how they're going to reintegrate black history into our churches. Well, normally, uh, Report, this is Tom Sherberger, just uh, since I have followed these issues for years, I have never heard of a governor or a state department of education uh, rejecting an AP uh, history course or any course. Normally, this is a pilot project, and what they do is they, they say, well, we have some issues with your program, and yeah. here's some changes we think you should make. They didn't even do that. They just said no. Not going to take this course. What do you think is behind that? You know, it's hard for us to decipher, but one thing we know for certain is that Governor DeSantis does not want black history taught, period. And it goes back to our bill again from last year that says if people are made to feel uncomfortable, we're talking about kids in school, and they go home and tell their parents that they heard something that made them feel uncomfortable then that teacher can be called to the office to be and, and now we see Pinellas County banning a Toni Morrison book, Nobel Prize winning author. I know. It's, it's insane. So uh, over, this is an overreaching arch, I think, uh, of government. This, you know, some people have said, well, Rip, this is very similar to what transpired many years ago when books first were banned, then they were burned, and then what happened? People are not allowed to know anything about their history. This is crazy. It, it just kind of reminds many of us of the Holocaust. When book burning started and people's knowledge about their history was trying to be erased, you know, this is really, it, it, it's, it's disheartening and it's very sad. Um, well, up in Tallahassee right now, you are also have filed or you have sponsor, you're sponsoring three criminal justice reform bills right now. What do you think is going to happen on this front in criminal justice reform in Tallahassee? Do you expect any movement this year? I think a couple of years ago there were some um, relatively um, um, important bills that were actually passed. Um, what do you expect this year? My hope is that we will see some movement on criminal justice. Everybody's talked about how critically important it is. I did have an opportunity to speak with Chair Renner. And he was open to some ideas that I presented on these very bills, you know, that I've carried since I've been in the legislature for the past four years. Right. Last year, I was instrumental in getting the parole bill through all the committees, but I did not have a sponsor. And it moved it for me. So I'm back to that. And this will also we'll push the bill out sometime next week, the parole bill. But the treatment of inmates we've carried and. It just could not get any movement. Um, yeah, and you, there's no Senate bill on the treatment of inmates. Are you going to have one? Oh, yeah, this side I do have treatment of inmates. Yeah, Senator Bobby Powell on my rehabilitation credit bill. It's uh, Senator Roussan. So I, I do have people in place. And on the parole bill will be uh, Senator Tracy 
update is. So this year I have my senators in place. So let's see how the House will move. And sometimes, you know, it just depends. Whoever moves it on either side, then they may consider taking a look. But I will be talking to all of the chairs of the various committees once we know what all of our committee stops are to determine do we have viability or we don't. Are you all willing to listen to this or you won't? I mean, it's that simple. You can tell me I will agenda the bill for it to be heard or I won't. Um, I want to talk about the treatment of, of inmates, Bill, because that you said that you've care, uh, you've brought this forward for four years, I believe. I have. And some of the basic things that are included in there, like proper ventilation. So I don't believe that any of the prisons in Florida have air conditioning or very... No, we do. We do. We have 18 prisons that have air conditioning throughout the... the out of the... Uh, we, 18, so how many do not have air conditioning? Yeah, let's say about 40. 40 do not have air conditioning. So this is either calling for putting in air conditioning or some circulation. Um 20 minutes to eat each meal, just an opportunity to eat. And then one thing that I, I've thought talked about this before on this program in past years, that sanitary napkins and tampons, that women don't have regular access to sanitary napkins and tampons when they're in prison. We need legislation to guarantee that. Tell me about that. Legislation was put forth my first year in the legislature, and maybe it was my second time going so fast. HB 69 was a bill that said we would supply women with the necessary items that they need, such as tampons and uh, pads. And then right after the bill passed, my visits to the prisons, because I do visit the prisons, no better way for me to know what's really happening, right? Right. Mm -hmm. So I went over to the prison, and we were using what looked like panty liners for pads. And I had that conversation with the secretary. They enlarged the sanitary napkins to look like a sanitary napkin. However... (laughs) Just a few weeks ago, I was up at Lowell and found out that indigent women, are not, those are people who have no family, no money in their canteens, period. They are not getting the items that they need like they need them because women with money, if they don't get it, they can purchase it. Right. But there should be no rhyme and reason why a woman should have to purchase items that we're paying for with state dollars in our facilities. Right. However. I took it upon myself along with a bunch of other people that assisted me, and we did a collection, and we did 160 bags to indigent women over at Lowell, and that was toothbrushes, toothpaste, deodorant, soap, sanitary napkins, tampons, denture adhesive. Mm. One would think that we would be providing, and we're not. If you're instant, you are less likely to get what you need without begging, crying, and praying for it, and sometimes doing some other stuff to get it. Well, and it's also, it, to me, it's providing those kinds of things is about dignity, about treating right. people with dignity. Right. You know? And that's why I put it back into the treatment bill, because it's not being fulfilled as it should, even though legislation passed that said it was mandatory for you to do those things. Well, I'm glad you're staying on top of it, um, and I'm glad we had an opportunity to talk about that. Um, you also have HB 115, which is about criminal rehabilitation, and one thing that that bill does, well, two things that are interesting about it to me. One is that it it redefines what the purpose of sentencing is. That the, as our as our state law reads now, it says the primary purpose of sentencing is to punish people, um, and you'd like to change it so that it says that the dual purpose is punish 
and rehabilitate. Both goals are important to people. Um, tell us about that. Why is that important? Well, I started that bill again. That's something that I started back in 18. And I want, I want everybody to understand that none of these bills are brain trust, a child of mine. These are from people who are currently incarcerated, formerly incarcerated, or families who are incarcerated that have sent these pieces of legislation to me. So as I visited the prisons, they explained it to me. That game time bill is to reduce time for first-time nonviolent offenders. But you don't get it automatically. You have to take training in order to be qualified to get the game time. And, you know, they made it sound like I was just warning people's sentences to be reduced by uh, down to 65% of the sentence with nothing, and that's not true. I want people to be prepared to go home and be a productive citizen in their communities, wherever they're from. And that's why this bill is just so critically important. So you get gain time by participating in academic or self-improvement courses. That's what the idea Absolutely. is, is that, that you get some credit for participating in those things. Absolutely. That's what it is. And that bill's being carried by um, Daryl Rousson. Yes, that's Senator Rousson over in the Senate. Um, uh, Representative, anything else um, that you want to share with us about what you're expecting in the session in Tallahassee? Oh, absolutely. There's Ava's Law. You all may remember the baby that died over in Gainesville. The mother gave birth to her in the jail cell. Mm -hmm. Ava's Law is being carried by Senator Jones in the Senate and myself over in the House. We're going to approach this again. We believe that every mother or every child really should have their mom to be able to bond with her, except for heinous crimes that we know a judge cannot allow somebody to go home. But we're asking that 12 weeks after that baby is born, the baby does have that ability. We're also asking for pregnancy tests to be given in our jail so that you know if a woman is pregnant and what's her likelihood of losing her baby or what kind of treatment she might need. So I did talk to the speaker, and my hope is that we're going to get some movement out of that bill this year. I'm working on the parole bill, and the parole bill is really to define what parole means. You all know we don't have a parole system in Florida, but this says that you will not keep sending people back to the Commission on Offender Review telling me to go take 10 more programs and give you 20 more years. As opposed to that, you will define what it is I'm required to do if I'm ever going to get out. Right. Period. All right. And you, you all heard, I'm sure, about this housing bill that's coming uh, the Senator Pasadomo had just released Senate Bill 102. And what is that? Tell us about it's that. An it's an attempt to solve the housing crisis. What do you it think is, of that? Will it do it? I, you know what? I just started reading the bill last night, and there are some good parts in this bill, but there's also some opportunity to take away local municipalities' rights. And I hate when we do that. But I did, as far as I've read it, it's about page 25. There's 93 pages to go. But this bill does tell developers you must have a portion of your development for affordable housing or workforce housing or whatever you want to call it, attainable housing. You're going to allow manufactured housing. I also believe, and I'm trying to get through it, that the Sadowski Housing Trust Fund will not be swept. We have a $240 million limit on it currently. I'd like to see that moved up to every dime we get in it, that they don't sweep it. And that those dollars are used for rehab and down payment assistance. I understand that there's a piece in here on our um, hometown heroes. I'm going to be researching that because my understanding is that not many people are taking advantage of it. And if they're not, then we need to find out why not. And if they're not going to use it, put that money into some other housing programs. We're in dire straits, and they, there will be no rental 
they don't want them to do any kind of stabilization on rent. That's a part of this bill. So Great. There's some bad parts. Um, uh, Representative, we got a caller. I'm going to take this call and see. I think he might have a question for you about the AP course. Chris, uh, Chris, you are on the line. What's on your mind? Oh, yeah. About a week ago, I noticed that uh, WESH and others are reporting that the College Board is tomorrow, uh, February 1st, going to, uh, you know, Black History Month, uh, going to start a Black History Month, going to issue their revision of this, uh, what is actually a pilot program. And uh, I don't know if there's any confusion on that, but, um, you know, DeSantis did uh, state his objections in the press conference as well, uh, things that uh, he objected to her black queer studies, um, Angela Davis, a uh, radical Marxist uh, Communist Party member um, teachings. And uh, I, I'm. Um, I think Black Lives Matter, that was the other thing they didn't want taught Black Lives Matter or the black struggle in the 21st century or something. Reparations. Yeah. Yep. Well, I don't know about that, but uh, reparations. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm, there's just so much of this in this pilot course that would need to be read to understand it all. But maybe if someone could uh, read those passages that are being objected to, I think the audience might benefit of, instead of saying, well, this is what the bad guy DeSantis uh, is opposing us for, she'll tell us what you like about it and read those passages of the curriculum on the air. Well, they haven't. I don't think they've released the curriculum yet. That's what they're going to be doing on February 1st. Hart, do you have a comment? Yeah, I mean, my comment is is that even though he has identified some parts that he say is a part of this, I've not seen it yet. I'm looking forward to seeing what the college board says. But, I mean, let's be serious, you all. When we talk about AP Black American history, we're talking about history, period. There's some words that they don't even want to be used in our schools, words like slavery. Let's be honest and just teach what it is. Who says that Angela Davis was a part of the Communist Party? All throughout this city, books are being banned right now, and they're putting up sheets over books saying, you cannot read this book because the governor says so. This is a free state, and I'm being told that it's the freest state in the nation. <laughs> it doesn't seem like it when you're putting all kinds of stipulations. What's so wrong that all of a sudden everything must change because the governor believes it should? People have been able to read books for hundreds of years. I don't believe a lot of this hype about, uh, what was my word? I was just looking at it a couple of minutes ago because, for me, this is more than just about education. This is almost like when you say to me, your history has no value. What do you mean? You didn't say study of queer history has no value. You said black, AP American, I mean, black history has no value. Right. So what are you doing, erasing me? And it wasn't, and it, to, I think the point that Tom made is that they, it wasn't like they raised objections to certain things. They just said, we're not teaching that, which yeah. is what, you know, would make more sense to say, identify what they objected to rather than throw out the whole thing. Right. Um, and It's going to be interesting what the colleges do. You all know that if the colleges don't go along with the governor, they stand to lose hundreds of millions of dollars. Right. So, you know, I don't think that anybody to be putting money uh, before our kids' education. And I get it. If you don't want your child to learn a certain subject, AP history is not even available to everybody. It's an elective course, I believe. Oh, right. 
Well, of course, the, the, one of the new trustees at New College uh, wants to fire every faculty member and start all over again. So, <laughs> well, you know, who knows? It's crazy. So I don't even know. But if we continue to go along, listen, we must continue to teach black history. It's a part of American history. Um, Representative Hart, thanks so much for um, giving us some of your time today and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you so much. I greatly appreciate you allowing me on. Bye-bye. Thank you, Representative Hart. Um, so one of the things that she talked about was in prisons, um, uh, gain, gain time for inmates who participate in educational programs and self-betterment programs. And um, this is what um, our guest Barbara Road does with the Rent 10 initiative in the Pinellas County jails. Yes. So um, welcome to WMNF, um, Barbara. And tell us a little bit about... Um, what the Red Tent Initiative does in Pinellas County. Of course. Well, we started about 10 years ago. Um, I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, and I went down to the jail and said, I have an idea. I'd like to start a program for female inmates. And that program, with the help of an amazing board, volunteers, staff, we've grown. We've grown into a multifaceted nonprofit organization, we provide trauma-informed classes for the women inmates at Pinellas County Jail and have for 10 years, along with heart math. We are um, collaborating with an international organization that teaches resiliency building and emotional regulation. So we help the women because most of the women behind bars are there because of trauma that happened when they were children, teenagers, young adults, undetected, untreated trauma that led then to the downward spiral of substance abuse. So trauma led them to substance abuse, which led them to incarceration, uh, incarceration because yes. of crimes associated with that. Exactly. And you, 86% um, of women in jail, they um, a, a, apparently have been victims of sexual violence or crime or, or, or trauma. Or trauma. And That's so right. what your program is, is an eight-week intensive program, four yes. hours a day for um, two days a week. That's right. Um, where they come to understand um, how trauma has affected their lives and how to manage it. Right. Many of them never connected the dots because they had been, you know, the victim of rape maybe at age 14 or sexual abuse or emotional abuse, domestic violence. They never realized that that's why the self-medication pattern started. Mm -hmm. That when other people, their friends, you know, family could have a drink or two or, or try something, they, because of the trauma, would take it so much further. And it just became this destructive cycle. Um, tell us um, why you call the, um, the, you call it the Red Tent Initiative. Uh, sure. Uh, it, I read the book, The Red Tent by Anita Diamond years ago, and it really touched my heart that there was this concept that we actually would put a tent in the middle of the village or off to the side, and it was red, where women could go when they were suffering, going through changes, grieving, traumatized, and the men in the community would leave food at the flap because they knew if a woman had time to heal and other women would join her there and mentor and coach, 
that everybody benefited. The family benefited, the community benefited. And it really stuck with me that what are we doing in this crazy society of ours where we don't give people the opportunity to heal, instead we incarcerate and punish. Right, which is interesting with that, that bill that talks about rehabilitating, yes. not punishing. Yes. And how many participants have you had in the period that We've you... had um, about a thousand. A thousand? Yes. And how many women are in the Pinellas County Jail at any given time? About 360, 370 at any any given time. Out of how a total population, what's that about? Maybe a third, or it's it's about it's no, it's less than a third. It's I think there's about two thousand and something total inmates. So you've you've served a thousand people through the yes. red, red women through the Red Ten Initiative, and what do you follow them? Tell us what happens to those women. How do they do? Sure, sure. We do follow them, and we do collect data for recidivism because. We really want to know that we're making a difference, and we are. Mm -hmm. I I don't think we'd be there for 10 years if we weren't. And then when they get out, we have a, and this is new in the community, a diversion program now that they're more than welcome to enroll in. We're collaborating with the public defender's office and ultimately with drug court. And women are being referred into our diversion program, which is also eight weeks, where they come and get the same curriculum, the same trauma-informed heart math curriculum, and it's in an attempt to keep them from going back to jail mm-hmm. or to prevent them from going to jail. You said you track, and one of the things that you're tracking is recidivism to see how effective the program is. Do you have any numbers that you can share with us about how well it's working? Sure. We've always known we were in somewhere in the 20s as far as 20-something percent, maybe 23 or 24, ended up going back to jail within a year, where the national average is anywhere from 47 to 54. We now realize with in 2022, um, our recidivism rate was even lower. It was more like 14 percent of the women. Okay. And, and this is, it's important to clarify, this is jail, not prison. Yes, And exactly. jail is anyone who has been awaiting trial. So they could be there a long time awaiting a trial, or they haven't been sentenced. And if they are sentenced, it's for less than a year, right? That's right, less than a year. And so I guess one of your goals is to make sure that these women not only uh, don't uh, wind up back in jail, they don't end up in prison. Because after a while, you keep getting arrested. That's right. And that's an even tougher uh, road for them to travel, right, being in prison. yes. As we yes. heard from Rep Hart, I mean, sure, you know, they don't even have air conditioning in two-thirds of the prisons in yeah. Florida. I mean, you might not even get a, a tampon. So it's been very successful in terms of keeping them out of the prison pipeline as well, right? Right, right. Yeah. Um, tell us what heart math is. Yes, it's an international program, and we have a master heart math trainer in Red Tent. It's a program that's really science-based and helps with resiliency building and emotional regulation. What's typical of women when they've been through trauma is that they lose the ability to handle their emotions. And the emotions, the anger, the rage, the fear, the anxiety is what drives them to the substance abuse. Mm -hmm. Well, HeartMath is just a user-friendly tool and every class includes some practice of it where you learn to breathe in through your heart and still your emotions. And the women go back to the pods 
immediately with that new technique. So if there's an argument or a crisis or anything like that in the pod, they can immediately start to do their heart breathing. Mm -hmm. And there's other tools as part of heart math. But anybody can look it up. It's all over the world. And we actually have a license with them now to teach this to women in jails. And now this program has proven itself to the point where you're going to be expanding. That's Tell right. us about your That's right. future plans. We, um, Other than the diversion program, which just started in December, and we're very proud of that. And that's um, to keep people from even, for women from even going yes, into jail. from going to begin into jail, with, right. exactly. And that's down at the Sanderlin Community Center in South St. Pete. And then we're, we're expanding to Hillsborough Jail, Hillsborough County Jail, hopefully mid to late February. And my goal, our goal, is to have a, a red tent in every jail and prison in the country because it's preventing women from going back. I find it interesting that both sheriffs in this case are Republicans, and uh, knowing uh, what experience Representative Hart has had in the legislature trying to convince Republicans about the value of rehabilitation, these sheriffs understand that, right? That's right. And tell That's me, right. why would that be? We've had a very good experience with Sheriff Gualtieri. He's, very, um, he's an advocate of programs, especially right now for women, because the number of women behind bars has gone up in the last decade 700% in this country. So um, programs for women, because you know a woman is typically the hub of the home, mm -hmm. the family. And her children, it, when she's pulled out of the home and thrown into incarceration because of a minor drug charge or traffic violation, something like that, everything splits up and breaks apart. And children end up oftentimes in foster care. So I think our politicians are beginning to understand that uh, we need to do something differently here. It's affecting everyone. Well, it's more cost-effective, too. It's more it's cost expensive effective. to keep people in jail. It is. And it's, we're making communities safer because they're not coming out and reoffending. Um, if you're just tuning in, you're listening to Wavemakers on WMNF with Janet and Tom. Our guest is Barbara Rode, who is the founder of the Red Tent Women's Initiative, which gives women at the end of their incarceration um, counseling, education, and the tools for a successful life after confinement. Um, we'll be right back um, after this brief break um, to speak to Melissa Green, who is um, someone who participated in the Red Tent Women's Initiative. And we will be right back. Hey, what's going down, family? It's your resident chef, Big Eddie G, inviting you to the Soul Kitchen. Me and my assistant chef, Mr. White Pepper Dave and Bryant, serve up the best of R&B and soul music with a pinch of hip-hop and jazz and a dash of fun. So stop by Friday nights from 8 to 10 p.m. Bring your appetite, because the kitchen will show enough fill you up right. Here, only on 88.5 WMNF. Want to hear what one listener called the most disrespectful show he's heard in 20 years? Join Donna, Liz, and Amina at 10 a.m. on Thursdays for Surly Voices. A fresh, fun, feminist take on current events, politics, and social justice. Slaying the patriarchy, one show at a time. Surly Voices, Thursday at 10 a.m. on WMNF 88.5 and WMNF.org. 
lots of great news and public affairs and music on WMNF 24-7. And just last week, um, WMNF debuted a great new uh, public affairs show with Mitch Perry from Florida Phoenix, Ben Montgomery from Axios, and Ray Roa from Creative Loafing. And um, it was a fantastic show. Every Friday? Every Friday at 11 o'clock. Tune in. Tune in. We'll be talking about the news of the week. Um, so today we're talking about criminal justice reform. Um, we've got Barbara Rode, founder of the Red Tent Women's Initiative in St. Petersburg in the studio with us, and Melissa Green, who um, participated in the Red Tent Initiative and now works for the organization. Welcome, Melissa. Hi, thank you. Mm-hmm. Thanks for being here. Um, so tell us your story. How did you come to be involved in the Red Tent Women's Initiative? Well, can you In 2015, I was incarcerated and sentenced to jail. I uh, signed up for Red Tent and started to go to the group. And I started to really kind of use what I was practicing in there, whether it was, you know, inside, you know, the pods where we were. And um, I started to really get connected with everybody there. And um, inside a jail, the reason I actually went in is because they told me they had coffee and cookies. <laughs> so that's anything to get me out of the pod and have some real coffee and cookies. I was like all for it. Um, and that's kind of what led me there originally. But then I really wanted to stay and I really liked what they were doing. Uh, we were sewing pillows. I had never sewn a day in my life. And um, I remember... Um, the women that were there um, were just amazing and they didn't judge me and they kind of like were like very, you know, it just didn't feel like when I left that room the same, you know, I mm-hmm. felt like equal to everybody in the room and it, so I really wanted to stay. And then when I actually got released, um, I stayed connected to Red Tent and I started to go to the groups afterwards and stayed connected to the girls that were in the group and the women that worked for Red Tent. I'm still friends with them today. Um, uh, Barbara herself has done things for me that have been, I mean, I think I was four months out of jail and she flew me to Arizona to go in front of like all these women at this feminism and rhetorics conference. (laughs) I couldn't even say the word rhetorics. I I had to practice it for two weeks before we flew up there, um, with some women that worked for Red Tent. And, um, I have been on the news several times from being a participant of Red Tent and being nominated for a few things. Um, and here too, I mean, just so many different opportunities to just tell a little bit about my story about how Red Tent has like literally been the foundation of what changed my life. And, um, it's so easy for me and people are like, you're so like, this is great and this is what you should be doing. And, um, like all I do is tell the truth and it's really, how did, how did you end up? In jail, tell us your story about what um, happened. I was charged with trafficking narcotics. Oh. Now let me let me tell you what that means. I was charged with ten Vicodin, and they tried to give me a trafficking charge and send me to prison for three years. For ten wow. Vicodin. For ten Vicodin. Wow. In the state of Florida, it's charged by weight. Um, I had been in trouble quite a few times before that, and they were kind of looking for something to kind of sit me down for a little bit longer mm-hmm. because. I think that they thought that maybe that would help me. I don't think it was... Were you addicted to Vicodin? Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was originally addicted to opiates from the age of 17 because I was prescribed them without my parents' permission. Mm -hmm. Not even as an adult. I was in a car accident and was prescribed them. And this is when the opiate epidemic had started. Mm -hmm. Um, and actually the originally, the original prescribing doctor is still prescribing. There were other doctors who are actually in prison now because of it. Um, and that kind of started my addiction. Of course, way before that, I had a lot of things that happened to me as a child. I was exposed to a lot of things in my, in my family and with my house. Um, and this is um, the trauma then that, that, yeah. uh, Barbara and her, her, right. her folks would have helped you. And, and you had never really had an opportunity to address that before then. In my household, I was made to go to, um, counseling and therapies because I was brought out of the house and sent into mental institutions and stuff because when the law would show up, I looked like I was just out of control and crazy. Um, mm-hmm. and, and then that is what they did for it. They didn't, you know, dig too much deeper. I would go to a place for four days, 72 hours. I would get prescribed some medication. I would be sent home. I would have to see a therapist, which I kind of hit a lot of stuff because I didn't want my parents to get in trouble. I wanted to protect them as mm-hmm. well. And then, um, I would... I went along with that for a while and then eventually I didn't take medication like I was supposed to and I started to self-medicate. Mm-hmm. Um, and that just started a re- revolving door of, I had been arrested 23 times before the last time I was incarcerated. For and drugs or were there uh, related? It was all because of drugs. Related to it. Because yeah. often, uh, you know, uh, if you get addicted to drugs, then you have to have the money to buy the drugs and you end up maybe stealing and right. things like that. I had that. done that- everything I could um, at the end of my drug use to use. Um, I only got caught with um, possession charges, um, DUIs, right, um, and stuff like that. So, you know, I was blessed that I didn't get in more trouble than I, right. I, I should have, but at the same time, like, I needed some help. What do you think it was about the red tent that finally got to you? What What was it that helped you turn the corner with this program, do you think? Can you put your finger on it? My family got involved and my mom started to change with me. Oh, well, that's good. Sorry. Very good. That's okay. Um, that makes a huge difference when your family starts to get involved. And yeah. that's intensive. Red tents, I mean, four hours mm-hmm. twice a week right. is a lot. Right. That is yeah. a lot. That and, make- and yet the women, I mean, we've had a waiting list in the jail for years pre-COVID, the women seem to love it. Women have told me in the jail, it's the first time I'm around other women who look at me the way I've always wanted to be seen. Mm -hmm. Not damaged or broken, just another person on this path of life Mm -hmm. that that got involved in things that have not worked out for her, and now she's ready to make a change. Um, We've got a question from somebody who wants to know, does Red Tent work with foster kids at all? Many of our women were in the foster care system before they became adults. Okay. We don't work directly yet with foster care kids, but many of our women, there's a big overlap. In and our, our listener points out that a lot of foster kids, unfortunately, uh, yes. experience trauma. Yes. And that was yes. Bubba. Bubba, thanks for the question. Yes, right. Good question. Um, so you said, um, uh, Melissa, that your mom got involved. Now, yes. did she, she knew what you were doing in the jail? And so through the Red Tent, how did you communicate that with her? How did that happen? Well, 
yeah, she knew what I was doing with Red Tent. She would take me to groups if I didn't because I didn't have a license for a little while. Um, she also would volunteer. She would volunteer. We did Thanksgiving every year. We did Christmas every year before COVID. Um, she would ha- we would have events um, and she would show up and set up and she really loved the way she felt and how it made her feel good and the energy and just everyone just kind of smiling and laughing and having a good time. And she would be like, I, I would have never thought thought that you girls had ever been in jail before and I just thought it was really cool so um, if you would like to join the conversation you can give us a call at 813-239-9663 or send us an email at dj at wmnf.org you can also text us at 813-433-0885 and, and Melissa you, you mentioned that you were sewing so tell me about that is that what how what role does that play in the in the program, these the hand so activities. Yes, I don't know what, what to call handcraft. Yes. So Barbara can probably explain it better than I can, but I know that it has something to do with its grounding. And um, when you talk about therapy, it's very grounding. That's mm-hmm. the only thing I can like the feeling that I can relate to as far as. So when I first started thinking about this fifteen years ago and what I wanted to do in the jail. I had read research that when women do things with their hands like sewing, um, crocheting, knitting, coloring, anything like that, they produce more oxytocin, a really important brain chemical that makes them feel safe and secure. Mm -hmm. So I didn't want to open up a class in the jail and have the women come in and feel like they were sitting in the hot seat. We, we, what we ended up doing is asking the community to donate fabric, all those materials, And the women come in and they start off by creating something. Mm -hmm. And we put it in their property. So when they go home, they can give it to their child, the parent, whoever, or keep it themselves. So they're immediately involved in something that makes them feel safer and more secure. Mm -hmm. And not sitting there, you know, being therapized, if you will. I still have my pillows. (laughs) <laughs> that you made. That's great. Yeah, it's great. And Melissa, you're working with Red Tent now. What's your role there? Uh, so I have always been a participant of Red Tent. If Barbara asked me to do something, I don't even ask questions. I kind of show up. <laughs> um, one time she sh- she said, "Hey, I'm I'm having this uh, event with Sangha, which is this art that an artist actually made um, that represented Red Tent women. And um, I want you to share a little bit of your testimony. And I was like, okay. So I showed up and. I really am glad she didn't tell me what I was showing up to because I probably wouldn't have showed up. But um, (laughs) I was able to share a little bit of my testimony just like this. And I realized there were like judges and prosecuting attorneys and public (laughs) defenders and all of 60 or 70 of them. I'm in an art gallery in downtown St. Petersburg. (laughs) This isn't just like, so it was quite intimidating, but I got through it. And then after that, she started a mentorship program and I started there. And one day after the group, she's like, hey, um, would you be interested in facilitating our groups? And I was like, yeah, sure. Here, uh, get on to the Zoom so we can train you. I started doing that. The next meeting that I seen her in, she was like, um, I have an administrative assistant opening right now. Do you know anybody that's that has experience with that? And I was like, let me see what it entails. Let me see if I have that experience. So I got with Joanne and she is, she she gave me all this stuff and I was like, I'm not qualified to do that. That I don't have those um, 
require I do not have those and she was like going over it with me do you know how to do this do you know how to do that do you know how to do this and I was like yeah I know how to do that stuff she's like Melissa you're a fast learner you can do this mm-hmm. and then she was like recovering addicts are the most resourceful people I've ever met <laughs> she's like you can do this and I was like okay how about this I'll volunteer for two weeks um, and you tell me if I can do this so I did and then we actually found through career source right um, Sean Thornton is his name amazing man he's amazing um, he found a grant that pays for on-the-job training so now for three months Joanne is training me on being an administrative assistant yeah. oh great yeah yep. Good for you. Congratulations. So I'm curious about the follow-up programs. I mean, you're in jail, you know, and and presumably they're keeping the drugs away from from you. Yes. But what happens then? You're released. What does your program continue, and how, how does that work? We we try our best to stay in touch, and we do have a, a counselor, a trauma specialist, who will work with the women when they get out of jail if they feel the need to do more therapeutically. Because what I always say in jail is. This is not a therapy program. It's therapeutic, but we're not doing therapy. Mm. So when they get out, because we have to stay within our boundaries in in the jail, because remember, they are incarcerated. You're not doing therapy. You're doing training? We're doing in the jail. No, it's psychoeducation. It's trauma-informed education Mm -hmm. and heart math. So it's... It's a combination of both. So when they get out, if they call us and we try to stay in touch, um, we can link them with our counselor who is funded through the diocese, the Catholic diocese, and they go for counseling without having to pay for it. And there was one other point I wanted to make about that. Um, Remember, when the women get out, they hit the ground running. They have to reunite with children. They have to find Mm. a job. They have to find a place to live oftentimes. And we as a society have put up so many roadblocks for Mm ex-offenders that this is, it's like an 80-hour-a-week task for them. Right. So follow-up is a little challenging because they are dealing with so much. But now we're collaborating with Dress for Success and Career Source. And we're trying to link them with these other programs that will vocational help rehab. with mm-hmm. vocational rehab that will help with reentry. Um, and they get bus passes and other... Yes, we will so. help them with bus passes and the public defender's office is helping with that. Yes. Is what kind, I mean, it, it even takes, it seems to me, a certain kind of woman to take advantage of the program, right? I, I mean, yes, it must be... I bet you wish you could reach more, but there has to be a certain level of... Because it's a voluntary thing. If you're in jail, you don't have to go through this program. Nope. Nope. Not even Project Redirect. That's actually voluntary, too. That's right. That's right. right, Our diversion program. And when I first started back in 2012, the jail warned me that you can try this, Barbara, and we'll put up these little flyers you made. But women (laughs) don't typically sign up for programs in jail because they're so depressed from being pulled away from their families, children. They're so worried about all of them that they want to sleep their sentence off. But um, we, but you found the coffee and the cookies we, is an excellent draw. <laughs> yes, yes, and the and the crafting that's yeah. a big pull for the women. And then we're saturating them with the trauma informed care and heart math. Well, Barbara, tell me how did you come to do this? Because you're a, a, yes. a mental health counselor, yes. but you 
I don't know if you focus on relationships and marriages or what your specialty is, but what prompted you to do this program? Yeah, there were a few things in my own life. There was, I worked at Goodwill Corrections for five years. All of a sudden, they had an influx of female inmates coming from the prisons and the work release. And within months, I realized, wow, most of these women are here or have been in prison because of trauma. What is Goodwill Corrections? What uh, Goodwill? It's Goodwill. If you've seen the thrift stores, oh, yes, and the they have a they had at least and maybe still do a contract with Department of Corrections to provide work release. Okay. So people live with them but have to go out and find jobs during the day. Okay. I got called in because all of a sudden they're flooded with women, and remember that rise in women uh-huh. incarcerated, and they didn't know how to handle them because the needs are different. We women are social beings, and when we're allowed to come together in safe, healing, nurturing environments, we we realize a lot about ourselves and our choices. So it was that. That was an eye-opener. I read Anita Diamant's The Red Tent, and I went to an estate sale in my community in 2011, and within minutes knew something's different here. Something feels weird. I love garage sales and stuff like that. And a neighbor told me that the woman whose house I was in, that was her daughter by the front door selling her stuff, and the woman had taken her own life a few months before Mm. after a bad divorce. So I was going to leave. I knew it felt weird. I went up to her bedroom. For some reason, felt like I was pulled to go up to her bedroom. Stood in her bedroom. Everything was open to the public. And there on her nightstand was a copy of The Red Tent. And I came home and said to my husband, it's time. I want to start a red tent and I want to do it at the jail because that's where I think women feel the most forgotten, Uh the most, you know, bottom of the barrel as far as other people's concerns. And how many people are involved in your organization? It must take quite a few, both paid and volunteer participants. Tell us about that. How does that work? Right. We're we're pretty small in grassroots, which is why I think we can spread all over the country because it doesn't take a huge amount of money to do what we're doing. Mm -hmm. But we have a small paid staff. Most of us are part-time or um, contractual. And then we have volunteers who assist. And we have an amazing board of directors. Mm-hmm. Our board chair, Joanne Wolf, is just a powerhouse and keeps opening doors for us. It's amazing. And where do you get your funding from? Can you tell us where your funding comes from? The Pinellas County Sheriff's Office funds 70% of what's being done in the Pinellas County Jail through Red Tent. Um, when we expand to Hillsborough, we're raising the money right now to do that. We have to do a pilot there, and then I'm going to keep banging on the door, and hopefully once we've proven ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then we get money from the Community Foundation of Tampa Bay, the Pinellas County Community Foundation, and individuals. Oh, and the diocese, the Catholic diocese. And what does the Catholic diocese do? They support our counselor, our trauma counselor, who works with the women that really want to go more into the therapeutic side when they get out. You're talking about the working with the hands, how that yes. is good for women, and women are social, and they do well in the groups. Do you feel like it's, is it different for men? Would something like this work well for men as well? Or I'm, I mean, I'm, I know men deserve and need programs, of mm-hmm. course. But the research is showing, Dr. Shelley Taylor out of UCLA wrote a book called The Tending Instinct. We women, when we're stressed or traumatized, we really biologically, chemically benefit from coming together with other women. Hmm. That's what the research is showing. And do you think this kind of program could succeed 
in the state prison system. Oh, yes. In fact, in the prison system, the, the women are there longer. Yes. One of the challenges working in jails is the women come and go. We only work with sentenced women in the jail, and they have to have at least eight weeks left of their sentence to complete our program. So it's been, we've had to be creative in how to help mm-hmm. keep our class attendance fresh and and the group to be able to start and finish with us. And are you have you considered taking it into the prisons? We would love to. Uh, and what you're interesting what you're saying is that women don't necessarily want to take advantage of the programs. They want to sleep away their sentences and I think that's one of the things that Representative Hart is trying to do is to say if you participate in these programs, educational yes. programs or self-betterment programs, you can get out sooner. And I believe research also shows that Vocational problem uh, programs go a long way towards preventing recidivism, more so even than substance abuse problems uh, programs, because I right. think the substance abuse programs are um, so much. It's so much more difficult to get clean than it is to learn a new skill. Yeah. <laughs> I think yeah. probably for there, people. This also goes back to Representative Hart's bill that would try to put rehabilitation on an equal footing with punishment, because in your case, Melissa. You were punished. You were sent to jail mm-hmm. for the crimes you broke. And it turned out to be maybe the best thing that ever happened. That time. You. At the time. Yeah, at I mean, the, that time, though. At that, that time. time. Well, because yes. of the red, red tent, because you would say, probably. That's my point. Yeah. If it wasn't for the red tent, it, it, might, have just, it yeah. might have just continued the cycle. I mean, you know, David Crosby, may he rest in peace, famously said, prison saved his life. He was a cocaine mm-hmm. addict. He ended up in prison. He got the help he needed. Yeah, it yeah. definitely saved my life. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, trying to change that calculus between punishment and rehabilitation is it seems like it's, a, it's an important part of this whole um, uh, goal, right? Yeah. It's a huge part, And, and yes. yet we have so many politicians who only want to focus on the punishment aspect of it, you know, be tough on crime. I wonder how you can, can get them to change their rhetoric. Yeah. I, I think when we can show them that we're saving taxpayers' dollars— and we're making communities safer. I think then they might rise up and say, okay, let's give this a shot. Yeah. Right. And just like Rep was saying, like one of the biggest parts of being incarcerated that will make the women, I believe, feel differently than just a criminal is making sure they have the simple basic needs met. Mm-hmm. Like, of course, they're laying there trying to sleep their time away. They can't even, you know, they can barely even survive in there. Um, and then coming out and being treated with, you know, the same, with dignity, with the same respect as anyone else and give it being given responsibility when you make it impossible to have a job um, and to right. not being able to take, you're not, you don't get to get your kids back. You right. can't afford it. So, so how can people get involved in the Red Tent program? Uh, please go to our website, redtentwomensinitiative.org. Call our office. It's and that seven, phone number? 727-580-2719. That's it. Please, please get involved. And we're making a difference in Pinellas County and soon Hillsborough County. And so you'll particularly need volunteers in Hillsborough yes. County. We do, and there is a volunteer app on our website. That's right. Oh, okay. That's and, right. And which jail are you going to be starting at in Hillsborough? Uh, um, Falkenberg? On or Falkenberg. Falkenberg Road, yes. okay. yes. Hopefully in late February. Great. Great. Well, thanks to both of you for being here, Melissa. And thank you, Barbara, for being here. Um, Thanks to all of our listeners and those of you who called and sent emails. Um, Up next is the NPR News, followed by three hours of music from Harrison Nash. This is WMNF Tampa.
Thank <laughs> you.